we're taking an in-depth look from our weekend text. So we were in Romans 9 over the weekend. We're going to be looking at the first uh, three verses. Really having a heart for the lost. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you love us enough to send your son. That you, Jesus, would willingly come in human flesh to die upon the cross, rise again so that we could be forgiven. God, would you give us clarity of what's important in life? Would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit and really use our lives for eternity? We want to labor in your field. We want to see people come out of darkness to be your sons and daughters. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. These are absolutely crazy times uh, that we're living in. If you were just to kind of try to sum up things and to put it in uh, to words, one is there's uh, real stress that's happening in the economy as gas continues just to go up and up and up and up and salaries can't keep up and there's that, that stress that we're all feeling with the economy. The stock market is shaky at, at best. Real estate prices here in the springs, you know, what cost you maybe 350000 two years ago is 500000 now and trying to buy a home, trying to find a place to rent. I uh, talked with a young man yesterday. He's looking for an apartment, the cheapest he can find in the city. One bedroom apartment, $1,300, doesn't include in te- utilities. I mean, there's just this tension that's taking place with, with finances. And that would just be one area. So that's one area of, of tension. It's violence, just in this last few weeks, just so much horrific, senseless violence that's taking place in our country, these, these mass shootings that are, are taking place. I know my heart's really been disturbed by uh, the shootings that, that's taking place. You know, nobody really wants to talk about the reality of what's going on in those mass shootings. You know what it is? It's sin. It's evil. It's, it's wickedness. It's somebody choosing to senselessly take somebody else's life. And I know we're all feeling that with the violence that is uh, taking place. There's a real uncertainty with our government, if, if we're honest, you know. Just what in the world's going on with, with our government? I think we're crying out and we're longing for some common sense. It's like, where, where's some common sense in our, in our leaders and that God would, would raise up godly leaders that would make wise uh, choices? Just to kind of give you a little bit of the, the landscape uh, San Francisco decided to go ahead and repeal their dr- district attorney. Their district attorney uh, was very progressive, and homelessness and crime and drugs is out of control. So the city of San Francisco just this week said enough, and they got enough signatures for the DA to, to lose his job. And they're saying, we want to have a district attorney that has some, some common sense. And so there's this angst that's happening with the government as well of like what in the world is is going on there and you're like wow Eric this is just a discouraging message isn't it I think that it's such a crucial time for the church to be finding God to be our refuge 
that we would be coming to God and experiencing him as our shade, as our provision, as our protector, and then inviting people into that place of refuge, inviting people into a personal relationship with Christ that comes through the gospel. Amen? And though these are dark times, difficult times, confusing times, this is a great time for the gospel. Because throughout the Bible and throughout church history, when things are dark spiritually, that's when the light shines the brightest. And I think God is searching. He's looking for individuals to which he can show himself strong. People that will trust the Lord and rely upon the Lord and say, I want to take the gospel outside of the four walls of the church. I want to see people impacted to come to know Christ as their Savior. I had a privilege uh, this weekend of, of running into an old friend that I went to, to high school with. God just kind of put together the pieces. He happened to be in town, and I bumped into his brother, and his, his brother says, yeah, Kevin is here uh, visiting, and I'm like, man, have him come to church. I would love to, to see him again. We went to, to high school uh, together, and in talking with, with Kevin Claiborne here on Sunday morning service, he, he comes up to me and he says, Eric, thank you so much for sharing the message with me. Because when we were juniors in high school, we had a friend in our class pass away in a car accident. It was an icy day in Oregon. She drove a Volkswagen bug and went off the road, took her bug into a telephone pole, and that was it. She went home to be with the Lord. And at her funeral... Kevin was sitting like right over here in, in the sanctuary. And everybody kind of left. But Kevin was still sitting there. And you could tell he just had the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I felt the Lord encourage me to just go sit down and talk with him. And in the course of talking with him, I asked Kevin, I'm like, Kevin, if you were to die, did, would you know that you'd go home to be with the Lord? And he's like, No. I'm like, would you, would you like to be make sure? And his heart was prepared. Like God had prepared his heart through the Holy Spirit. And that night in November of our junior in high school, he received Christ as his Savior. And now all these years later, I run back into him. And he's walking with the Lord. He's doing well. Going to the church that I grew up in. Has three kids. And I went home and I told Amber, I was like, that is what life is all about. God using our lives by his grace. And I tell that story to boast on God because I was a knucklehead 16-year-old at best, right? The power was the gospel. Really didn't have anything to do with me. Had to do with the Holy Spirit and the gospel. God was working in Kevin's heart. When we go home to be with the Lord... What do you think is going to matter? What do you think is going to matter when we're in eternity? Forever, right? It's a really short list. I can only think of two things. It's Jesus and others. It's Jesus and people. That, that's all that's going to matter when we get to heaven. The things that we focus on in this life don't have that much importance, but our relationship with Jesus does. And that's what's so cool about you being here on a Wednesday night to grow in your relationship with Christ, and investing in people, loving on believers, serving believers, and reaching out to unbelievers. Having a burden for the lost 
and sharing the gospel with people is not one of my strengths, and I wish that it was. I wish that it just came naturally to me to be able to approach unbelievers, start up conversations with the gospel. And you're saying, well, wait a second, Eric, you know, you, you teach all the time. But notice, this is a monologue. Like, I've got the mic, right? So when you're talking with somebody, especially when you've got a personal relationship, we all fear that rejection. So I'm being challenged in this area of sharing the gospel with unbelievers, of going outside of, of my comfort zone. So let's look at Romans 9, verses 1 through 3. I tell the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience always bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ from my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Paul says, I'm telling you the truth in this. The Holy Spirit's my witness. I wouldn't make this up. I've got great sorrow and continual grief, and I wish that I could be separated or accursed from Christ so that my countrymen, the Jews, could come to know Christ as their Savior. That's quite a statement. I would be willing to go to hell to see Jews come to know Christ as their Savior. That's how much he loved the Jewish people, even though they persecuted him so much. I want us to consider two questions with this is, what do we have sorrow and grief over? What do we have sorrow and grief over? That probably reveals and shows our priorities, the things that we grieve over and the things that we're sorrowful over. If I'm honest, the things that grieve me most often is when I'm uncomfortable. When I lose things that I value, when Team Eric is hurting, then I grieve and I have sorrow. And very rarely is my heart grieving and having sorrow for those that don't know Christ as their Savior. Sometimes it does, but not near as much as, as I would like. God's brought two people into my life over a 20-year period of time that had this kind of heart for the lost. One was my friend Joe Sasser that I went to school ministry with, has a heart for India, go on prayer walks with him, and to hear him pray for the people of India, he would grieve and cry and weep over the people of India knowing Christ as their Savior. Another is a man, Lou Ivey, that I've gotten to know in the last few years, and he's a missionary that RMC supports over in the Middle East, our team right now that's over in the Middle East, is doing missionary work uh, with him. And Lou Ivey's story is really interesting. He raised his kids, and his wife ended up passing away of, of cancer. He's at a point in his life where you think he would retire, and God just gripped his heart for lost souls, starting right here in the Springs. And he would go out, and he would share with lost people here in the Springs and pray, and eventually, God grieved him for those in the Middle East to the point where he moved without support. He didn't raise support. He just moved to the Middle East because he's like, God's burdened me for these lost souls over there. And when you talk with Lou about lost people, he begins to weep. He begins to, to cry because he's so burdened with the fact that they're going to hell. 
whether it's right here in the Springs or it's over in the Middle East. And in talking with them, it breaks my heart. The Holy Spirit uses that to touch my heart for, for lost souls. Is there anything more heartbreaking than someone going to hell for all of eternity? Like if we really believe what the Bible says, that heaven is real and hell is real, it should break us for those that don't know Christ as our Savior. To where we have grief and sorrow that moves us to pray, and we ask that God would allow the lost to be found. I want us to look at this concept of the lost through the life of Jesus. Jesus' burden for, for souls. We're going to track it through the Gospel of Luke. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Got those mixed up. Luke 10, 2. This is Christ's instruction. The instruction of Christ when it comes to the lost. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. The context of this in Luke chapter 10 is Jesus is about ready to send out the disciples. They're going from the lecture to the lab. Wasn't that always an exciting time in biology and chemistry? Where you'd heard the lecture for a while and now it was time to dissect something in biology or blow something up in chemistry. This was the time for the disciples to go out. God is, is sending them out. Do you feel like the Bible and the Christian life has gotten a little bit boring, a little bit mundane? Maybe it's because we've lost reaching out. We, we've lost go, going out to those that don't know Christ as our Savior and proclaiming to them the gospel and the joy of Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus says, the harvest is truly great. There's people tonight that are thinking about taking their own life right here in this city. They're, they're completely hopeless and they don't see a way out of their situation. And Jesus wants to save them, wants them to become his child, to be born again. There's those that are addicted to drugs and, and alcohol and sexual sin. There's those outwardly that seem to be doing just fine and they have plenty of money and their life is, is stable, but they worship their possessions. They worship the next vacation that they can go on or experience that they can have. The harvest is plentiful. God sees the souls that need to know Christ as, as their savior, but the laborers are few. There's not too many that want to labor in this field of lost souls. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's scary. We risk rejection. There's going to be sacrifice. There's going to be, be hardship. The laborers are few. So in light of that, pray to the Lord of the harvest. God's the one who saves souls. Amen? It's his field. He's the Lord of the harvest. So let, let's pray to him and ask that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. That God would raise up laborers. And I would ask us tonight, if we're broken over the condition of our city and our country and our world, that we would take this instruction seriously 
and pray that God would raise up laborers. Because the hope for Colorado Springs, the hope for our youth, the hope for all generations in this city is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope for our country is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need a gospel movement. The hope for the world is a gospel movement. So let's pray. God's asking us, Lord, would you raise up laborers that would see eternity clear enough to say, I want to labor in your field. Notice it's his field. And I got to tell you, it does involve sacrifice, but it's also so rewarding. It's so incredibly rewarding when we live our lives with this mindset of God, would you use me to to share the gospel? We'll get there this weekend in Romans 10, but I just want to read to you a few verses out of Romans 10. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How are they going to believe if they don't hear? How are they going to hear if there's no preacher? How's there going to be a preacher if they're not sent? And we oftentimes think of a preacher as up here, a preacher as a preacher. But the word actually means to be a herald. It's a king sending a messenger. Our king has given us a message. We go out as a herald, letting people know that they have a savior who loves them and died for them and can forgive their, their sins. We've been sent by Christ, as we'll see a little bit later in our study. And there's this promise as we labor in his field, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of priests, who bring glad tidings of good things. Have you ever had this experience that when you share the gospel, when God leads you to share the gospel, no matter what their response is, is it reminds you of how true the gospel is. And you find yourself having beautiful feet. You find yourself having happy feet. This is the promise of laboring in God's field. Wyatt and I experienced this a little bit last night. We were watching some TV and he looks at me and he goes, Dad, it's so nice tonight. We can't waste it watching TV. Like, we need to go for a hike. And in my flesh, I'm thinking, I don't want to go for a hike. Like, but then I'm like, yeah, he's right. Let's do this. You know, and I'm like, okay. It's like, let's go hike Pulpit Rock. So, okay, let's do it. So we get out on the top of Pulpit Rock, overlooking Costco and Pikes Peak as the sun's setting. And at the very top of Pulpit Rock, it's not very big. There's only room for four or five people tops. And there was a couple of college kids up there, and they're speaking another language, but also they know English, and we start talking to them, and they're asking us questions about the springs. And I said, where are you from? And they said, Mongolia. I was like, wow, I've been to Mongolia. I went on a missions trip in high school to Mongolia, playing basketball and telling people about Christ. So they got all lit up that I'd been to Mongolia, right? And when I'm talking to them, I had been preparing this message, right? All about the gospel. And it's like, Lord, how do I share the gospel with them? And, and it just didn't happen. It didn't take place. And they got down off the top of the pulpit rock and they started to, to walk down. And as they were leaving, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, invite them over for dinner sometime. So 
They go, hey guys, can I ask you a question? Kind of run up to them, kind of yelling at them a little bit. And they're looking at me like, <laughs> I said, would you guys like to come over to our house sometime for, for a meal? And they just lit up. Like, they almost shrieked out of excitement. They're like, yeah, there's four of them. You know, these college students that are here working for uh, the summer. So I got their number and we're texting and trying to figure out a time. I don't know where it'll go. But I had so much fun. Wyatt and I had so much fun. And we, we came home with, with happy feet. It's the joy of laboring in God's field. Wyatt did let me know. And he says, Dad, don't you think that was a little too early? Like, we don't know them. And you're inviting them over to the house. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, it's tried to explain. Like, in other cultures, they actually eat in each other's house. Like, we're, we're the weird culture that we don't eat in each other's houses. So I don't know. What do you think? Start with prayer. As you pray that God would raise up laborers into the harvest, you may hear his voice where he says, I'm going to send you. Are you willing to go? And you'll find joy laboring in God's field. What's the alternative? What are the other fields to, to labor in? The field of selfishness? You know, the field of materialism? I think we found those fields to be pretty vain and empty. Let's continue on in Luke and look at Christ's mission in Luke 19. Luke 19, the first 10 verses, I love this section of scripture. It really shows the heart of Jesus when it comes to the lost. Luke 19, verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Let's pause on that for, for just a moment. Jesus is headed into Jerusalem leading up to the end of his life. This will be his last time through Jericho. He's coming from the Galilee region where he spent most of his life, most of his public ministry, I should say. The route to Jerusalem was to come down hit Jericho, then go up to Jerusalem. Still is the current route. The Jews wouldn't often travel through Samaria. He's just passing through. But he's going to see Zacchaeus. He's going to see a very lost man that needs to be introduced to Jesus. Some of the best kingdom opportunities... God appointments, divine appointments, are when we are passing through. When we're going to the grocery store, when we're getting gas, when you're getting coffee, when you're at a football game or a soccer game with, with your, your kids, and the Holy Spirit begins to touch your heart that there's someone who's in need of Christ. Jesus wasn't too busy to see Zacchaeus. Look at verse 2. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. The two went together because the tax collectors would rip people off. If you owed $5, they'd tell you you owed $10. Most people, probably including the disciples, thought Zacchaeus was beyond reach. May we never think that of ourselves or of anyone else. No one is beyond the reach of the gospel. No one is beyond the reach of, of the love of Christ. 
Jesus doesn't look at a sinner and go, oh, they're too far gone. They're a tax collector. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. He'd heard about Jesus over these three years. He was curious about Jesus. I think that the enemy has won a battle in my mind that I think that unbelievers aren't curious about Jesus. Those that don't know Christ in Colorado Springs, God's working on their hearts where some of them are curious about Jesus. They've heard about Jesus and they want to learn more about Jesus. Before you knew Christ as your Savior, did you have a curiosity about Christ? Did you have questions about Christ? Maybe we should approach them with the mindset of they're wondering who Jesus is and they have questions that need to be answered instead of coming with this presupposition, oh, they don't want to hear about Jesus. They're not interested in Jesus. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but he can't because he's short. He's a wee little man. There's a lot of little man jokes in there, but I'll save those. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. So he looks at the route, looks at the way that Jesus is going to travel, and finds the sycamore tree and climbs up, says, I've got the advantage point. He's not going to let an obstacle stop him from seeing Jesus. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. How many times am I too busy in my life where I don't see the Zacchaeus that God has placed right in front of me? And thankfully, Jesus saw us in our sinful state, didn't he? When we didn't know Christ as our Savior, he saw us and he pursued us. And Jesus is continuing in this mode where he's seeking the lost. So as we go through our days, instead of just going, oh man, it's another trip around Costco. I might lose my life from these carts in here. Right? Or I'm so dead tired, I got to get an Americano. Or wow, these parents next to me at this soccer game, they're psychos. Like calm down, right? Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing at King Supers today? What are you doing in the neighborhood today? Lord, help me to see what you see. Help me to see those people that are searching for you. God, God sees them. God saw Zacchaeus, and Jesus knew Zacchaeus by name. He knows all of us by name. He knows those lost people by name and what's going on in their life. And then Jesus says, well... You better get those falafels ready because I'm coming to your house. We're going to do this. Once again, this just shows Jesus is not rushed. As he's passing through, he's like, we, we can slow this whole thing down. We don't got to get to Jerusalem on any timetable. I got a greater priority. I'm going to Zacchaeus' house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully, not the reception we thought maybe we would get from this hardened sinner, the tax collector Zacchaeus, but he is stoked. He's pumped up to have Jesus come to his house. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he's going to be a guest 
with a man who is a sinner. Understanding the culture is important here because it was a big deal to have a meal together. It was an expression of oneness and and companionship. Jesus is putting his reputation on the line to go have a meal with a sinner, but Jesus often did that. He was the friend of, of sinners. And as we think about the mission of Christ, I know that this is not rocket science, but Jesus spent time with sinners. And for us, as we labor in his field, he's going to call us to spend time with sinners, isn't he? Because we're sinners. And we daily need the grace of God. He's also calling us to spend time with believers. Got to have believers to encourage and equip and provide that fellowship. But he also wants us to spend time with unbelievers. I don't know why it's this way, but the longer we know the Lord it seems the less time we spend with people that don't know the Lord. It's just kind of natural. We get plugged into the church. Our friends are from the church, and that's great. That's exactly God's plan. But all of a sudden, we look around and we go, I don't have a Zacchaeus in my life. You probably need a Zacchaeus in your life that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Or they're going to say some things that you're like, oh, man, that was rough. Well, why was it rough? Because they don't know Jesus, right? They're a sinner that, that needs a, a savior. And then Jesus gets to his mission statement here in, in just a moment. Then Jesus stood and said, and then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it full fourfold. This is how Zacchaeus made his money, was through false accusation. He says, I want to make things right. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to his house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Christ's mission statement. The son of man. Notice he emphasizes this title, not the son of God, which points to his deity, but the son of man. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. We see this in the life of Zacchaeus. He sought him out. And he saved him. How much sacrifice did Jesus go through to fulfill this mission, to seek and save the lost? He left the comforts of heaven, the fellowship with his father, absolute perfection. He put on human flesh, all God, but realized too, he was all man. He emptied himself, took on the form of a, a bondservant, lived a life where he was ridiculed. Do you think people believed the whole virgin birth story? They did the math and they're like, Mary and Joseph, you weren't married yet. You're born outside of wedlock. A lot of shame at that, that time for that. Lived in obscurity as a carpenter. Rejected by his own family. Rejected by his own town. Rejected by the nation of Israel. The religious leaders crucify him. What did it cost him to fulfill this mission? Well, he went to the cross for us. So that we could be saved. So that we could be the child of God. So... Paul, going back to Romans, as he got close to Jesus, he developed the heart of God. 
He's like, I grieve for the things that grieve God's heart, and it's for the lost. He wanted to see the lost saved. Let's look at Christ's command. It's the end of Luke. Luke 24, verse 26, or 46. Luke 24, 46. Got to get my references right. That's the hardest thing. Luke 24, 46. Christ has died, he's risen, he's speaking to the disciples, gives them a command. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, which is the Holy Spirit, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. A parallel passage to this is Matthew 28. I'll read it to you. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Context is so important. Because Jesus has just rose from the dead and he says, all authority has been given to me. Anybody going to question that? He's got all authority. He's conquered sin and death and the grave. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a command that's given to the disciples This is a command that is given to us. Is God wants us to go and tell. God wants us to go and share. Who was it in your life that prayed for you, that told you about Jesus, that was patient with you, that showed you the love of Christ? Maybe it was a handful of people. And God's calling you, me, to be that in somebody else's life. And we oftentimes think, well, I don't have the answers. I don't have my act together. I struggle with, with this sin. If they ask me this question, I don't know how to answer. Jesus is not asking for experts. He's asking for willingness. We don't go in perfection. We understand that we're sinners and we get to share with them, guess what? Christ has forgiven me of my sin. I continue to struggle and sin, unfortunately, and Christ continues to forgive me. And he is the answer for your sin. So as we wrap up tonight, some practical tools in sharing the gospel. The first is rely upon the Holy Spirit. In Luke, it said that God's going to send the promise of the Spirit. He didn't even want the disciples to attempt this without the power of the Spirit. The book of Acts, they're empowered with the Spirit of God. They're led by the Spirit of God. Hear this. The Holy Spirit can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. And the Holy Spirit is on this mission of Christ to seek and save the lost. So part of walking in the Spirit is saying, God, I'm willing to do your work. I'm willing to to love unbelievers and share with them the gospel. And that's probably when we're going to experience the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm, I'm getting in on the mission of Christ. Not by power, by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. God, you know my coworkers. You know what's going on in their life. This is the mission field that you've given to me. And so would you show me how to be able to reach out? And if I'm honest, I don't even have the love for him that I should. 
So would you give me the love? Supernatural love, supernatural wisdom to be able to reach out with the, the love of, of Jesus Christ. Rely and walk on, walk in the, the Holy Spirit. I know this is simple, but share the gospel. Preach the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So what's the, the gospel? If we were to sum up the gospel in a simple sentence or two, it's that sin separates us from God. God sent his son to die for our sins, and all those who repent and believe, inviting Jesus to be their Lord, are saved. We're sinners, separated. And as we turn from our sin and cry out to Jesus, Jesus, I believe you died for my sin and rose again. I'm inviting you to be my master. We're saved. Share that with people. Declare that to people. As God opens up doors, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's important to build relationships. It's important to build bridges and care for needs. But it's also important in the midst of that context to share the gospel. It's also important to know that the gospel is powerful enough that God could bring someone into your life in a moment where you could share the gospel with them and God is good enough and faithful enough to bring them into the kingdom, to live inside of them and begin to change and transform them from the inside out. You may not get to be the one who walks with them through all of the steps of discipleship, but you are the one who plants the gospel. Share the gospel. And then also is share your testimony. Your testimony is really God's story in your life. When you read the book of Acts, Paul would effectively share his testimony. Three times in the book of Acts, he shared how he came to know Christ as a Savior in different contexts. Well, why is it in there three times? Because it's an example for us. In the Gospels, we see a man who was born blind, and he shared God's story in his life with the religious leaders. This is all the things I don't know, but this is what I do know. I was born blind, and now I see. In two or three minutes, maybe five, can you sum up with what your life was like before you knew Christ as your Savior? It's hopeless. I was empty. I was, what was it like? What are some words that, that come to mind? What, what did God do in your life to bring you to Christ? What was it? For me, what God used was a youth pastor asking this question. What do you want God to do in your life in this next year? It was New Year's Eve. And I wrote down, I wanted God to be closer to me than my, my brother. And four days later, God was gracious to, to answer that prayer. Well, what was it in your life? What were the circumstances? Did someone ask you a question? Did the Holy Spirit speak to you? What, what was it that caused you to understand that Christ is, is your Savior? And then what is God currently doing in your life? It doesn't have to be rock and science. It's, you know, my family's really been struggling. We've been crying out to the Lord, and God's given us comfort and peace. I don't know where it's going to all lead, but he's given comfort and peace. It's really difficult for someone to argue with God's story in your life. What are they going to do? No, that didn't happen, right? It's powerful. One of the ways that we overcome the enemy is through our testimony. Our testimony and 
his working in our hearts and lives. I want to close with this verse out of Isaiah. This, this verse has really been speaking to me. This is Isaiah 25, verse 4. It says, For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. Let me read that one more time. You have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. Isaiah 25, 4. I think as believers, we're getting stretched. The economy is affecting us as well. All of the violence, it's, it's, it's affecting us, right? Things happening in the government, affecting us. Relationships, it's fact, affecting us. We first have to find God to be our refuge. Okay, Lord, I know you don't want me to live in fear. I'm going to come and find you to be my refuge and my shade, drawing near to him, being in the word, being with God's people, experiencing him as our provision and our shade. But then it's not for us to, to just get comfortable in that nearness with God, but to then say, hey, come along. Come and see. Come and see. Share with believers. Hey, God's good. He's going to be a faithful refuge in all of this. He can provide and protect for his people. And then begin to reach out to those that don't know Christ as their Savior. Who are the two or three people that God is putting on your heart? Are you open to that surprise as you're passing through your Jericho that God puts a Zacchaeus in your life? We're not responsible for the person's response to the gospel. All we're responsible to do is to love and share with them. And what they choose is between them and the Lord. That's between the Lord of the harvest. They're going to have to stand before that. But God is using you, and he wants to use you. This is what is important to God's heart tonight, is to seek and to save the lost. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you that you invite us into your field to labor with you. And we do pray that you would raise up laborers for the harvest. You, you see the souls that are lost and hurting that need the gospel. And how will they believe unless they hear? How are they going to hear unless someone shares with them? And we see in your word that we're sent. Father, I know I feel like I'm inadequate. But yet I know that you're faithful. And we place our weakness in your hands and we want to be willing. We want to be willing to be used by you. I pray each of us, by your grace, this week would have the joy of sharing the gospel. Would you give us those divine appointments? May we be looking for them. In Jesus' name, amen.